Uh, thank you, worship team. And uh, it's so good to sing to God and to tell Him we love Him. And in just a few moments, we're going to look at His Word written to us and be reminded of how much He loves us. And we're actually going to end the service with communion. That's why you have those little containers. If you don't have one, slip to the back and get a container. We'll do communion to the, at the very end, so you can just set it aside for now. It's really good to be able to worship with you. And I, before we get to the message, I'd like to point your attention to the screen. A couple things coming up. One is a membership class. And, uh, you know, why would you want to become a member of the chapel? I, I, I could walk you through a variety of reasons why it's important to officially align yourself with the church. But why not do this? Go and learn about the church you already attend. Uh, this class has, even if you have no interest in membership, this class has so much information about who the chapel is, who we are, where we've been, where we're going, why we're going there, what we're going to do, and just a lot of really good information. So if you have interest, just text that number, uh, the word membership, and that same information is in your worship program this morning, okay? So hopefully we can see you. It'll be a Sandusky campus, all three campuses meeting there on that Sunday, May 21. All right? And next on the screen, uh, baby bottle drive. We've done this the last couple of years. Uh, I love this. We, this. The Norwalk campus is connected with Abigail Pregnancy Services. And uh, each campus is we're, Sandusky, Port Clinton, connected with a, a ministry called Heartbeat. We're so glad to be partnered with Abigail. We do things financially for them through the year. But this is special. Now, what Abigail does is come alongside expecting moms and dads. And, uh, and really, for those who are thinking through uh, ending their pregnancy prematurely, um, they counsel them. They provide counsel, the reason to keep the baby. And then once the baby is born, they provide just really good counseling and very practical help for moms and dads raising that newborn. And so anyways, in the lobby, you'll find a table with baby bottles. And we're just asking you to take it home and fill it with loose change or dollar bills, whatever you want, to support this ministry and then return it next weekend or the final weekend will be Memorial Weekend. All right? It's just a way for us to come alongside uh, those who um, are expecting new life. All right? Great. Fantastic. Thank you. And I want to say Happy Mother's Day, too, and I want to start by honoring my mom. That's my mom. That's Marilyn Halley. Uh, if you were in the Huron-Perkins area, you might recognize her because for many, many years she taught school and uh, in the elementary school system. That was a trick for me because my dad worked in the same school. I had two parents in the same school, and when I had to go stand in the hallway, it was just double jeopardy because I'd get home, and then I'd face both of them again. And uh, anyways... Before I joined staff about 11 years ago here, we moved from Akron back up to here, grew up in Huron, uh, my parents had already started attending the Sandusky campus. And so when we got here, my mom was, she was entering into this thing called dementia. It's terrible. Many of you know about that. And her hearing was going. And I, people will tell you, she'd sit in the back, Sandusky campus, back in that corner, and uh, whoever was speaking up front, periodically, she'd lean over my dad. You know how people who can't hear well, they talk louder. She'd go, when is he going to be done? <laughs> and every now and then, I hear people like you say the same thing. Maybe not out loud, but I can hear you muttering. 
So anyways, to honor my mom and to honor you, let's get on with the message, all right? Good. Happy Mother's Day. This is Jesus, and he's featured in the Gospel of John. There's 21 chapters. We're doing one chapter per week, and this week we are in chapter 4, and oh my goodness, this is one of the most beautiful stories in all of the Bible, and you're here for it. It's a very long story. I think it's important that we hear the whole story. And so we've asked Amy Watson, who is the wife of Pastor Jeff Watson, mother of Alice and Silas, to read this uh, story for us. She does a great job. You'll need to listen carefully. We've put the words on the screen. A little bit hard to see, maybe from the back. But listen in as we hear this gorgeous story about Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Here we go. Hi, my name is Amy Watson, and I'm going to be sharing today from John 4, 1 through 42. And Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea to return to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way, and eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the parcel of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, he sat wearily beside the well about noontime. And soon a Samaritan woman had came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And the woman was surprised for Jesus refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who I am, you would ask me to give you the living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this is a very deep well. Where would you get this living water? And besides, are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his cattle enjoyed? And Jesus replied, people soon became thirsty again after drinking this water. But the water that I give them takes away the thirst altogether, and it becomes a perpetual spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me some of that water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to haul the water. Go and get your husband, Jesus said. You are right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship? While we Samaritans claim that it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors have worshiped, Jesus replied, believe me, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship your father here in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know so little about the one you worship. While we Jews, we know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming and is already here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for anyone who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. 
the woman said, I know the Messiah will come, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples arrived and they were astonished to find him talking to this woman, but none of them asked him why he was doing it or what they were discussing. The woman left her water jar beside the well and went back to the village and told everyone, come and meet this man who has told me everything I ever did. Can he be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything that I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many of them to hear his message and believe. And then they said to the woman, now we believe because we have heard him ourselves. And not just because of what you told us, he indeed is the savior of the world. Well done, Amy. Thank you. Um, what, a, what a gorgeous story. There are so many ways we could approach this story, but, but the word that kept coming to my mind as I read it over and over is the idea of grace. There it is, grace. That's a term that we hear often in church, grace. We'll sing about it at the very end when we have communion together. Um, let's remind ourselves of what it is. Grace is not something you can expect. It catches you by surprise. It is a serendipitous thing. It's not something you can earn. It's not something you deserve. It's just a gift. It's like, are you kidding me? This is for me? Yes, it's for you. It's a, it's a gift. It's the kind of thing that makes you go, oh, or wow. This is ama amazing grace. Me. So as we read through this story, different observations come to mind. I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is break it down into four notes of grace. Let's, let's start with the first one. The first note of grace is that Jesus knows no boundaries. No boundaries. You know, every, every society of people has groups of people who don't like each other, right? You've got, the, I think on Netflix, there's, a, there's a, uh, a documentary on the Hatfields and McCoys. They're famous. You have the Browns and the Steelers. They don't like each other. You've got the Buckeyes and the team up north. They don't like each other. I grew up playing uh, sports at Huron High School. Back then, nobody liked us, and we didn't like anybody else. And I don't think that's ever changed. Now, in this story, of course, it's the Samaritans. And you might want to even think in terms of the Good Samaritan story parable Jesus tells. The Samaritans and the Jewish people, they did not like each other. I need to give you just a little bit of sidebar history here for a moment. Back in the 7th century B.C., none of you remember that, the, a group of uh, raiders called the Assyrians uh, conquered northern Israel and, and, took and deported many of the, the Jewish people back to Assyria. And they replaced them with foreigners. And then the, Jewish, the remaining Jewish people intermarried with those foreigners. And eventually they became known as the Samaritans. And they had their own place of worship called Mount Gerizim. You saw that phrase in the text we just read, heard. So the Samaritans worshipped one place, the Jewish people worshipped in Jerusalem, and they hated each other. And I have not enough time to go through the history of the things that they did to each other. Which now helps us understand the tension 
and the power of this story and this map shows us what, what a Jewish person would do if they were traveling from Jerusalem up to Judea, uh, Galilee. They would actually go around, take two extra days just to walk around so they would not step foot in Samaria. Jesus, it says in, in, the, in the Gospel of John, he had to go through Samaria. He didn't have to go through. He could have gone around, but he was a man on mission to show the grace of God. And the tension just builds as he steps across the border into Samaria. No self-respecting Jewish person would do that. And then no self-respecting Jewish person would talk to a Samaritan. And then no self-respecting Jewish man would talk to a Samaritan woman. Women were devalued. Jesus elevated the value of women just even in this story and many other places. No self-respecting Jewish person would ask a, a Samaritan for a drink of water from a utensil that they touched. Cooties, right? And so already, what I've told you, you can see how Jesus crossed all sorts of boundaries just to get to this woman. <clears throat> if you're following along in the Gospel of John, last week we did John chapter 3. And, and you have to be careful going from 3 to chapter 4. You could get whiplash if you're not careful. In John chapter 3, it's the story of Jesus and Nicodemus, a completely different story. Here's this man who is supremely religious. He's a synagogue attender. He's a, he's a churchgoer. He, he claims to know God. He's a Pharisee. But at this extreme over here, chapter 4, you come to this supremely blemished and flawed woman riddled with sin and shame. And what do we learn from the Gospel of John is that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, that, that Jesus crossed the threshold, crossed the boundary of heaven to earth just to be with Nicodemus, just to be with this woman at the well. And in this room, some of us were we grew up in supremely religious environments, very churchy, but did not really understand God, just like Nicodemus did not understand. And some of us in this room have made terrible decisions or just the, the products of, of just a harsh environment, and we find ourselves over here supremely blemished and flawed, riddled with sin and shame. And many of us are in between here. We're all somewhere on this spectrum. And do you know Jesus crossed that threshold from heaven to earth for each one of us. Not one of us here can go beyond a border where Jesus cannot reach. That is the nature of grace. Now just for a moment, I want you to think of a neighbor, of a coworker, of a family member who you think is so unlikely to ever be interested in God, to ever be interested in church, seems so far removed from God, so far removed from Jesus, has no interest whatsoever. There's no way. I want you to think about Jesus as a boundary crosser, and we will come back to those people in just a little while, all right? We gotta come to our, our second note of grace, and it is this, Jesus knows me, to the core. 
it's, I've had some fun inter, uh, interactions I can think of several right off the top of my head in the past where I've talked to these people who they've never gone to the chapel. They, they haven't gone to church in a long time. And they live their lives however they want. And I say, why don't you come to church? And they laugh and they say something like this. I can't go to your church. The roof would come down. Have you ever heard that from somebody? Invite somebody to church sometime. They might say that. Or maybe you have thought that. The roof will come down. And, and actually, they, they have said something incredibly profound just by saying that because they're admitting that God sees me. God knows me. He knows what's going on. The roof could come down. And, and theologically, they, they are more accurate than they perhaps understand. There are some incredible scriptures I want to show you, more than what I can show you. Uh, but these all show how God sees us right to our inner being. And the first one, what a great one to read on Mother's Day and a great one to read on the day we hand out baby bottles. It goes like this, a Psalm of David. It goes like this, For you created my inmost being, God. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in, secret, in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Isn't that beautiful? And, and there are other scriptures I want to show you. I'll just show you a few more from Hebrews. Nothing in all creation, not one of us in this room, is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must all give account. Job says this, his eyes are on the ways of mortals. He sees their every step. He saw you when you walked into church today. He'll see you when you walk out today. Uh, in Proverbs, for your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. Aren't those beautiful scriptures? Um, this weekend, if I look tired at all, we've had our granddaughter all weekend, and she's two. And you know the term terrible too. I always thought that was such a stereotype and so unfair. Until this weekend, it was really interesting. It was really interesting. I've never heard the word mine so much in my life. And she's a cutie. And you know when, when somebody says, oh, man, I'm hungry. I'm going to go get in the fridge and see what's there. She literally gets in the fridge. To, that's, that's, that's Blakeland. She's a sweetheart. And we have fun together. And we like to play hide and seek. And you know her idea? She hasn't caught on yet. Her, her idea of hiding, she goes and hide, go hide. She'll go on the, on the couch or on the floor and put a blanket over her head with her behind sticking out. I win every time. That's my goal, always to beat my kids and grandkids and whatever. So I win at tide and seek. She doesn't realize I can see her. She's, and that, that's the nature of what we just read. Regrettably, in my own life, I, I, I've done things, I've said things, I've thought things, and I think, whoo. Glad I got away with that. Glad nobody saw me do that. And then it occurs to me, wait, no, God does. Maybe you've had the same thoughts. Remember back in John chapter 2 where Jesus meets Nathan and tells Nathan, I, I saw you a long time ago, back when you were doing this and this. Or at the end of chapter 6, Jesus understands that, that Judas is going to betray him before it ever happens. The writer of the Gospel of John goes on to write Revelation and in the letters to Revelation, Jesus says, I know everything you do. Everything. 
let's kind of move back to our story. I want to show you a picture, though, a picture I took in southern Mozambique where I had spent some considerable time before I ever came to the chapel. These are, these are moms. These are moms coming up out of the valley where they got water. That's water on their head. I've tried that. That's incredible. They're, it's so heavy. You can't imagine. They're going up a steep hill, but they're delivering water to their families for cleaning, cooking, and all of that. But they go in the morning. You can see by the shadows. It's, it's the morning time. They're coming back to their, to their village. And, uh, you know, they, they go in the morning to avoid the heat of the day. And they, and they go together because it's an enjoyable thing to go together. Now, back to our story, the woman at the well. There she is all by herself at noontime. Nobody does that. Why was she there all, all by herself in the heat of the day? Because nobody wanted to be seen with her. She was riddled with sin and shame, and everyone knew her story. Don't you wonder sometimes if somebody, even those closest to you, knew every, every corner and crevice of your life, the, the dark corners of your life? Would you be standing at the well by yourself also? Here's the note of grace for this woman. Jesus sees her to the core, and he doesn't go anywhere. He stays put. And here's the note of grace for you and me. Better than the best mother in the world, Jesus sees us to the core and doesn't go anywhere. He stays put. That's another note of grace that leads us to this third one, which is the heart of the story. Jesus offers the gift of real life. Just three weeks ago, I was returning from where we have an adopted village. The chapel is an adopted village in Burundi, Africa. It's right in the middle. It's at the geographic center of Africa where we've adopted a village full of Batwa people. They are a despised people group, and they are pygmies. And it's a remarkable, the things that happened. I think in a couple weeks I'll be giving a video update on, on what's happened there as a result of our partnership with a really good ministry there. But as we sat with the community leaders, there's still some needs. What is your biggest need? And this could be, this could be uh, repeated all over the world in developing nations. We need clean, accessible water. Well, who doesn't? You've already had your water today. And you'll have more later on today. And you know why? Because every fiber, and every cell in your body cries out for water. You are more than 50% water. How about that? And so no wonder Jesus, after walking, fully God, but also fully human, says, I am thirsty. Can you give me a drink? And she does. But she's perplexed. Why would a, why would a Samaritan man, why would a, a Jewish man be asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink. But, she's, but what perplexes her even more is what Jesus says. If only you knew the gift of God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me instead, and I would give you living water. She must be scratching her head. Now, she's a Samaritan, and, and Samaritans had some familiarity with the Jewish scriptures. And if you know the Jewish scriptures, you know the living water is often used to refer to God. 
It's the idea of thirsting for God more than you would thirst for actual physical water. In just a few weeks, when we get to John chapter 7, you're going to see similar words from Jesus talking about living water. Quoting Isaiah 55, Come to me and drink, God says. Come to the waters. Just come to me. But, but she's not picking up what he's laying down. <laughs> she's confused. And she wonders, where's your bucket? Where's your bucket for this living water? So Jesus continues, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Remember, remember your history class where you learned about this figure named Ponce de Leon? He was, a, he was an explorer down south many centuries ago. But he was on the lookout for the, for the fountain of youth, right? Eternal life. Maybe that's what he had in mind. Or maybe she thought, and she says, do you have some type of water that will keep me, for, to have, keep me from having to come here every single day? It's a lot of work. I would love to be able to do that. She's not there for spiritual things. She's there just to, just to draw up more physical water. But Jesus is a man on a mission, and he wants her to understand. And so now, not to condemn her, but to, but to open her eyes, to, to, to put his finger on her deeper need, on her deeper thirst, on her thirst for what really meant, for God, for real life. This is what Jesus says next. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. Well, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Go and get your husband. Jesus is putting his finger on the deeper need for all her life. She's been going from relationship to relationship to relationship, from man to man to man, just trying, hoping, hoping that that deeper thirst can be satisfied. But it's like, it's like going to the well with that, with that water jar she has day after day, bringing it up, and then thirsty the next day, and then the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And for us in this room, it may not be a relationship. It may not be an issue of a man. Maybe it's the relationship of a, regarding a woman. Or, or, or maybe it's regarding work. Or, or maybe it's regarding appearance. Or maybe it's regarding possessions and money. Or maybe it's who you hang out with. Or maybe it's your political view. Or maybe it's your, I don't know, you, you name what that is. Jesus says, go and get your husband. But for us, maybe it's like, Go and get that thing. Go and get that thing you've gone to over and over and over, just hoping that it will satisfy that deeper thirst you have. And Jesus says to her, I alone have the water you long for, you thirst for. It's a relationship with God himself. And too many people I know they go after all those things for validation and for approval and for love and whatever. And what they're really longing for is that deeper thing. And it is God himself. And maybe that's you. 
There, there's, a, there's a book in the middle of the Bible called Ecclesiastes. And you know what it's about? It's about how light is meaningless unless somehow God is in the middle of it. I'll, I'll read, I'll read just, a, a, just a portion of it to you. It's from chapter 2. Listen to these words. Listen to the, the understanding this man has as he's tried so many things in life. It goes like this. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. I was just chasing after the wind. And if God's not a part of our lives, we're just chasing after the wind. Life is meaningless. And this is the nature of Christianity. It is about grace. It's not something we can earn or, 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 or deserve. It's a gift from, it's the gift of living, living water. The gift of eternal life. It comes from God himself. And finally, she comes to an understanding of this. He says, I am the Messiah. She gets it, and she runs off. And this brings us to our fourth note of uh, grace. It's hard to keep the grace of Jesus to yourself. Last week, we watched a clip from The Chosen. A lot of you have seen this whole, all three seasons. I've watched portions of it. It's awesome. It's wonderful. Hopefully, you'll take a look at it. It's not the same as the Bible, but it's an artistic rendering of what's in the Bible. But this particular scene, with the, that's the woman at the well on the right, Jesus on the left. There you go. And uh, I just, in, in this clip, but also in the text, her joy is contagious. The sense of freedom she has is contagious as she understands she has now been forgiven, free of sin and shame. And what does she do first? She goes and tells who? She goes and tells the townspeople, the very people who have ostracized her, who have pushed her away, who have refused to stand at the well at her with her. How could that be? Jesus tells a story of how those who are forgiven much forgive much. She goes and wants to share with them. And here we see her tapping in to, to the, the gigantic overarching theme of the Bible, and that is that God is on mission to bring the world back to himself, including those townspeople. You can look in Scripture. God never calls somebody to himself without also sending them out. Jesus never calls somebody to himself without also sending them out. But I want to ask you, how do these townspeople respond to her? Let's remind ourselves how this story ends. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves, now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Jesus wasn't surprised. In fact, we had to skip over a portion of chapter 4. It's where Jesus has a sidebar discussion with his disciples who are amazed that he's talking to a Samaritan woman. Don't be amazed, guys. Let, 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 me, let me tell you something, what's happened to her and to these townspeople. Wake up and look around, Jesus says. The fields are already ripe for harvest. That means there are people all around ready to hear and receive the news that God loves them and is expressed through Christ. Around the world today, it's the stories I receive in my office of Muslims, of Hindus, of Shintoists, 
of Buddhists, of Taoists, of animists, and all the other ists and isms of the world are responding to the message of Christ because none of those, none of those religions offer a relationship with God like Jesus does. He offers living water. Now, I want to go back to the people I asked you about earlier, your coworkers. Just think of somebody, a family member. Think of somebody, a neighbor. Think of somebody, somebody you think they are so far from God. They would never attend a church. They would reject Jesus out of hand. There's no way I'm going to talk to them. Would you remember the story of this Samaritan woman who took the grace she received and shared it with those who seemed oh so unlikely? Live your life for Christ before those you think are unlikely. Be willing to speak up and tell your story and watch what happens. The fields are ripe for harvest. The people who God has placed right around you. We cannot keep God's grace to ourselves. Now, that brings us to the end of the story. This was a story about God's grace. And we've identified different notes of God's grace. The, the worship team's going to come back out in just a moment, lead us through communion. Just hang on to your containers just for a moment. What, 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 we're going to actually sing about grace in a moment. And what more beautiful way to celebrate the grace of God than remembering the cross of Christ. I, I want to just for a moment return to the story of this Samaritan woman. Near the end of their conversation, as, as, as Jesus is helping her to understand what true worship is and where true worship happens, he, he says, a time is coming, an hour is coming. Now, if you look through the Gospel of John, whenever he says a time is coming, an hour is coming, he's referring to the cross. And it's because of the cross now that eventually Jesus himself will be the temple at which all people worship. And I want to remind us of what happened at the cross. A number of things. He said a number of things. One of the things Jesus said at the cross was, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, that wasn't a question. That was a statement. And what he meant was, God, I feel forsaken by you. I am forsaken by you. As I take the judgment of the sins of the world onto myself, I am now separated from you, but I'm willing to go through this so that my followers one day will never have to be separated from you. If you ever feel separated from God, that's just a feeling. That's not a reality. Jesus has taken that separation onto himself. But he said something else at the cross in John 19. We'll get there eventually, weeks from now. He says, I am thirsty. And that's not the first time he said that. He said it at the well, to the woman at the well. I am thirsty. Can I have a drink? And on the cross, certainly, he was physically thirsty. He was dying on the cross. But there was something else going on there. He was experiencing the hot heat of God's judgment 
on the sin of the world, your sin and my sin. And he took that onto himself, that thirst onto himself, so that you and I would never have to go without living water, but we could drink freely from Jesus. That is the nature of grace. So you want to take your container, hold it in your hand. This is a time for believers to remember uh, communion is simply a physical reminder of what Jesus did on the cross. And in just a moment as we sing, what I'm going to ask you to do is to take the bread when you are ready. Take, drink the cup when you are ready. Don't wait for me. We're going to sing as we do this. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this represents my body given for you whenever you eat it. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood shed for you. It represents the new covenant. Whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. So in just a moment as we sing, you take the bread and drink the cup whenever you are ready. Let's pray together. God, now thank you. Um, thank you for the cross of Christ. We could never, ever find our way to you on our own. We could never earn our way to you on our own. Wherever we are on the spectrum between being supremely religious to being supremely flawed, we need you. This is the gospel that you have come for all of us. By taking this bread and this cup, we say we believe and we will follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take it.